lovely to meet my guest today, Louise Blanchfield from The Food Physio. Welcome to the show, Louise. Thanks, Elaine. It's lovely to be here. And where are you based? I'm actually up in Scotland. Uh, so in Fife in Scotland, I actually I work from home and I also go out to businesses and talk to them and do talks about how they can improve their health for the workforce. So they, uh, their workforce is generally working better, concentrating harder. And I do talks at local conferences as well. I'll be talking in London later on in the uh, in March. Um, but I work from home predominantly. I see a lot of people online. So in fact, I was talking to somebody in the south of France the other day. Um, so a lot of the nutrition consultations happen online, but physiotherapy I do here at my at my clinic in Fife. And you don't have a Scottish accent? No, no, I'm born and bred in uh, Shropshire, and uh, we came up here with my husband's work. He works in renewable energy, and uh, we came up here supposedly for two years, and 16 years later we haven't gone back. Um, but by the point we'd we come up here and the contract had been fulfilled, we had two children, lived in a small village opposite a play park, and the life was fairly idyllic so we just thought you know what why why go back to the hustle and bustle of because we were in west london at the time before that so so yes english although the children are very proud to call themselves scottish because they're born and bred here all right do they speak with a scottish accent uh, my daughter's more so than my son they have a bit of a lilt that they don't have the type the kind of fifer accent that's typical for here but uh, you can definitely tell that they are that they are scottish born and uh, live here it's funny, isn't it? Accents as they as they change through through the generations. My grandchildren in Nottingham, and they're saying they they call me Mama. Mama, it's not bath, it's bath. It's not grass, it's grass. <laughs> yes, yes, oh yes. We have that all the time because my younger brother is actually in London and has been for many years. So he speaks very posh English accent. His children do as well, and it's the uh, the comedy moments when we get together as a family is to the accents and who pronounces what in what way. Yeah, it's very good. Okay, let's get on to your um, the food physio. So, so what is the food physio, and and, and why did you set it up in, in with that name? Uh, I've been a physiotherapist for twenty two years now, and uh, I've always I, I worked in well briefly in the NHS and then in occupational health, and I set up my own clinic after birth of my first child. Uh, so that's the physio part. The food bit has been in the last well, it's set up food physio was set up in two thousand fifteen. And we did that after my husband um, had a miraculous uh, turnaround with his health from, in, from changing his diet, basically. So uh, I've been a physio. Shall I tell the story? Yes. Um, so he, he actually developed uh, inflammatory bowel disease. It was ulcerative colitis when he was 18. So the story goes right back. And uh, when I first met him, actually, he was uh, going to be going to the hospital and was going to be having part of his bowel removed. So it was having quite serious flares. He was at university at the time and uh, you know, poor diet, poor lifestyle and uh, couldn't get out of one of his flare ups. So the disease is very similar to Crohn's. You have active flares and then it goes into remission. And uh, he was in hospital and was going to be having part of his bowel removed. And they said, oh, we've got a new wonder drug uh, called azathioprine, which is an immunosuppressant. We'll start you on that with the hope that we don't have to do the surgery. And sure enough, fantastic, went into remission. He still had the odd flare, but nothing like how it had been at that time. Um, he was on that for 10 years. And what he hadn't realized is the whole time that he was on that, that actually his disease was grumbling away in the background and slowly progressively getting worse. <clears throat> so they took him off that after 10 years because there's an increased risk of bloodborne cancers with it. And he had a massive, massive rebound attack 
of the colitis, but he'd also then started with joint pain. And it first started in his shoulders and he couldn't move either of his shoulders above 90 degrees. And I started to try and treat him being a physio and he wasn't responding. I do acupuncture as well. He wasn't responding to the acupuncture and his pain just wasn't following a normal musculoskeletal pattern. And I'd said to him, you know, this is systemic inflammation. This is very different to normal. And I said, you need to go to your GP and see what's going on because it's not going to respond to uh, outpatient's physio. Um, and at that point, it also developed pain in his lower back. So he went to the GP who did uh, blood tests and the blood test showed that all of his inflammatory markers were high. So they referred him to a rheumatologist. Well, uh, the NHS being the NHS obviously had a bit of a wait for when uh, for getting to see the rheumatologist and uh, by the time he got there he was having flares that would go from his knee to his hip to his other knee uh, to his wrist and when he was uh, walk when it was in his knee or his hip he was having to walk with a stick it was that painful and he was waking in the night crying with pain he couldn't play our son was four at the time if he played a bat and ball with our son it couldn't then move his wrist for three to four days and the joints would be they would swell up to double the size be excruciatingly painful and he basically stopped doing everything that he liked to do he couldn't cook he liked doing woodwork he couldn't do that couldn't play tennis couldn't play with the kids life was on hold and he was only 40 years old at the time and he went to go and see the rheumatologist and I'd stayed at home looking after the kids because kids were four and seven. And um, he came back and he said, right, OK, it's not very good. And I said, well, well, what's been said? And he said, well, the opening kind of phrase was no one gets better. Everyone gets worse. And you could be in a wheelchair by the time you're 60. Oh, joy. <laughs> Here's a tablet Take, well, in fact, actually, the tablet was one that he was, it was a, a tablet he was on for the colitis, and she quadrupled the dose, saying, right, and it was an anti-inflammatory. He said, I've got to quadruple the dose, and they told me I need to stay on this medication as long as I possibly can, because apparently the next one's a really nasty one that's got lots of uh, side effects. So they've said, make this one work as long as you possibly can. Well, he quadrupled his dose like he was told and didn't touch the pain. Um, he could, it was, couldn't work uh, when he was flaring because he has to travel across to, to Norway with the renewable energy work that he does. And, and, and everything was, was just really bad. And, you know, it's hard as a physio to see somebody in pain. But when you're sat there and it's your husband and there's nothing you can do, I just felt to totally helpless. And I said to him, I said, well, look, I said, come on, they've said, and, and at this point they diagnosed a non-ankylosing spondyloarthropathy. That was the name of, of the joint pain and basically an inflammatory arthritis. And I said, right, okay, they've got you on an anti-inflammatory. The colitis is inflammatory based. The arthritis is inflammatory based. So what's driving the inflammation? You know, inflammation is a normal process that should happen in our body, but it should switch off and it should stop. You know, it's there after damage has been caused and it should stop and then we start to heal. So I said, well, what's driving the inflammation? And he was like, well, I don't know. And I said, right, okay, leave it with me. So basically, once we got the kids into bed at night, I became glued to my computer. I started looking at research papers, looking at blogs, looking at forums, look at anything I could get my hands on to say, 
look, it started in the gut. It was your inflammatory colitis that then progressed into this arthritis. Let's see if there's anything we can do to help us. Because we've been to see the GP and we said, what about diet? And the, di- the GP said, there are a lot of quack diets out there. Just keep taking the tablets. And this was nine years ago now. So you know, nine years ago, we weren't as savvy as we are now about nutrition. So and, it, and his parents felt that we were going against medical advice because we were wanting to do something for ourselves. Um, so anyway, long story short, I changed our entire diets around with what I found off the internet. I basically took us completely gluten-free, completely dairy-free, and also bought in a lot of nutrients that I'd researched and found um, not only decrease inflammation, uh, but also help the gut to heal. Because we felt that if we could get the gut right, then maybe, maybe our plan was originally that maybe we could stop the arthritis from getting any worse. Because at this point, life was already bad. Um, and um, nobody was more surprised than me when, and, and Richard was a great control subject actually, because he thought, well, I think it's a whole load of rubbish, Louise, but let's give it a go because eating healthily can't do me any harm. Uh, but after a month, he said, do you know what? The shoulders aren't, aren't quite so bad. And the flares that were happening weren't quite as intense. Um, after two months, he said, no, definitely noticeable difference. Knee pain's definitely coming down. The flares, instead of lasting for five or six days, have been excruciating pain or about three days. Um, and after three months, everything started disappearing. The pain started going. He started moving more. Um, he started to be able to do more things with the kids. He started to cook again. Um, it was it was miraculous. So we we'd started out trying to actually stop him from getting any worse. But what we hadn't realised is actually what we were doing was was putting everything into reverse. Um, he went back to see the consultant. He confessed that at that point he'd stopped taking the medication. And um, he said to the rheumatologist, he confessed what he'd been doing, how he'd been eating. And she said that she wished all of her, um, all of her uh, patients would eat that way. And he said, well, why don't you say anything to people? Why do you just give them, you know, medication? And and her answer was, well, because most people just want to take a tablet. And we're like, but we don't. And not taking a tablet has meant that actually we've managed to reverse the problem. And basically now we just want to tell everybody else, you don't have to just take a tablet. You can actually change your lives around. You can make a difference yourself. And in some cases, make quite an incredible, miraculous change. What was also really interesting was the following, I think it was about six months later, he went back to the gastroenterology people. And uh, anybody who's listening who has uh, colitis knows, unfortunately, you have to go and have a colonoscopy every now and then to have a look at the damage to the gut and to see how you're doing. And they take biopsies to make sure that there's no uh, cancerous changes and things. And he went back to that, to the, to the gastro, had a colonoscopy. And uh, before he'd gone in, I said, make sure you ask about your scarring because we'd known from when he was 18 years old that every time he had a colonoscopy, um, that they'd said to him, yes, your bowel's doing okay, but we can see all the scarring from the previous attacks. And because I put so many things in there, I mean, he'd been having various, you know, bucket loads of cabbage because that's got glutamine in, which helps the gut to heal. He'd been having all sorts of things. I said, well, ask him about the scarring. And um, when it got to the end of the colonoscopy and they come around and see you and uh, the uh, consultant spoke to him and said, everything's looking okay. And he said, okay, and what about the scarring? The consultant said to him, 
what's scoring? You have an entirely normal looking bowel. So to me, I was just like, this is, a, this is amazing. This is incredible. Scarring that has been there for 23, 24 years has gone. Um, so I just thought, okay, I want to help other people. So I then went out and got qualified to do nutritional therapy. So I did, um, I supposed to be a three-year course, but I was exempt from the first year because of the physio. So it's a two-year course to become qualified. I got qualified for that in 2015, and that's when we set up the food physio. And uh, I've been now helping other individuals for the past five years uh, doing that. And I do a combination of some people see just for nutrition, some people for physio. But actually, increasingly, I also get people now come and say things like, for example, I've got migraines. I'm not sure whether it's tension to do with the back of my neck or whether it's dietary. So I, in which case, I love that even more because I can be more of a Sherlock Holmes and I can have a little look at both and say, right, OK, well, let's do this and let's do that. Um, and just at the moment, the exciting thing is we've now finally, it's taken us a while, we have finally written everything down in a book. So we now have everything that we put into practice. That's in the first third of the book, Eating My Way Back to Health. And the second two thirds are over 100 recipes uh, that we ate along the way. And that's, that's partly because of Richard's love of cooking. So therefore, we started to have to adapt all of our family favourites um and uh and there's uh, there's you'll see there's ones in there of mine there are ones in there of richard's because every recipe has a little taste tip on it so you'll see either richest taste tip or lose taste tip and the taste tip tells you how to change the ingredients around or how to add a bit more spice how to make it just a bit different if you're eating these for long term and then there's a back to health bonus on everyone as well which is where i've got in with the sciencey bit saying how it's particularly going to help your health um, so we've just literally that's just been out for a couple of weeks now so we're very pleased that we finally got that um, out because we just we will just want other people to know that when you get some these chronic inflammatory diseases there is a way back from it it's not always easy there's it does have a bit of hard work in there but um it can be done and we want to let everybody know about it Absolutely brilliant. So it's good timing then, this interview. You've, you've literally only just launched the book. So yes, yeah, yes, t definitely. Yeah, literally, um, it, was, um, it was, was supposed to be the beginning of January, but you know, as life, you know, after Christmas and everything uh, happens, then it uh, didn't come out quite as early as we planned. So it was, it was literally a couple of weeks ago it's, uh, since it's been out. So, so, uh, so what's it called again? It's called Eating My Way Back to Health. And um, it's a gluten and dairy free recipe book and it's a self-help book. And it's got it's by Richard and myself um, and it's got the food physio on the top as well. So and you can find it. Go on, sorry. You can find it either on my website. Yeah. So it's www.thefoodphysio.com or it's on Amazon. It's cheap, cheaper on my website, but, <laughs> but okay. it's, on, it's on Amazon as well. And actually, if you look at it on Amazon, you can actually look inside and you can see the um it gives you the contents list so it can tell you the, you know, the, the names of the different recipes and it's various reviews on there as well so you can have a read but i'm quite happy if anybody's not sure whether it'll work for them they can email me at inquiries at the food physio.com or get in touch with me via uh, facebook uh food physio nutrition um if they if they want some more advice on whether they think it would help them well how could it not you know <laughs> how well, could it not it is one of those things that, I mean, anybody with an autoimmune condition or a chronic inflammatory condition will help, but just actually the number of people that I see for just trying to clean their diets up, 
you know, we all have, uh, we, we all accept that our hair and our eye color and our build are, are very individualistic, but actually our guts are exactly the same. And what one person can eat and thrive on, another person simply can't. And part of that's down to genetics. Part of it is down to your gut microbiome. You know, we talk a lot about gut bacteria, what you've been exposed to health-wise um, through the years. Um, what we can break down and what we can eat is, is very much uh, on an individual basis. And that's a lot of the time what I help people do is actually work out for them what is the diet that they can thrive on. And quite often it's different to what their partners can thrive on. Mm -hmm. um and you know i i eat slightly differently to richard because i know there's certain things that uh, that that my stomach doesn't like i mean you know i say to people all the time if you're getting bloating if you're getting a bit of indigestion if you're getting an excess wind you know they're all little symptoms but they're all your body trying to tell you that it doesn't like what you're doing and and i think the problem we have is we we ignore these little things, you know, a, a bit of fatigue, you know, we should be getting up in the morning and be ready to go. And if you're just really slow going and you can't get moving, then, you know, there's, there's maybe a nutrient that you're depleted in, or there's maybe, and by that, I mean, you know, kind of vitamin or mineral, or, or maybe you're not, your blood sugar's not balanced very well. Um, and what I enjoy doing is saying to people, right, okay, looking at what you're eating at the moment, you're not supporting X, Y, or Z, and this is why we need to change these things around. And I've been astonished. Um, with people that I've seen, where I've, I've got a fair number of clients now we've managed to reverse type 2 diabetes with. Uh, they're back in normal blood sugar ranges, off medication. Um, uh, I've helped people with other autoimmune conditions whose uh, symptoms have gone into remission. It's, it's quite incredible. I um, it never cease to be astounded by how different you can feel just from changing your food. Amazing. And, and also, it's, it's not difficult, is it? When you know what to do, it's really not difficult. And some people say to me, oh, well, I couldn't possibly, if I had a lady this week, um, she said, oh, no, it's too difficult. I'm too set in my ways. I'm not disciplined enough to change my diet. Thinking that changing your diet means that you're going to, you know, starve to death or uh, yeah. you know, uh, eat awful food. But you just find different alternatives, and some of them are really tastier than the thing that you're, you're picking out in the first place. Definitely. And I, and I think that's that's the good thing about when it's a consultation, because I always say to people, it is two way street. If there's something I'm asking you to do that you're not keen on, um, that we can't find a way via diet, then we will supplement if we have to. Although for me, supplements are a they're a short term thing to try and get to you, your nutrients super boosted. So we get rid of a particular symptom and diet should always take over. But the quite simple fact is some people just don't like certain foods that are healthy for them that we need to have that are essential. So in which case the odd supplement here or there needs to be a bit longer but it's not as difficult as people think they, they that it is and I think the other thing is um is I say to people look we're, we're going to change it we're going to change it for two to three weeks let's see how you feel at the end of those three weeks and then tell me how difficult it is and I don't think I've had anybody yet really who's come back and said they've not even felt just slightly better from making the changes and that actually once they put it into um, in, into into a plan and, and an action on it, that actually it wasn't as hard as they thought it was going to be. Mm. Plus, I help people out, and they have meal suggestions. They have a you know, five day menu. You know, that I say, right, this is what I want you to do, but look, this is how it translates practically into how you're going to eat. And when you go through that, kind of some of that fear factor of changing, um, you kind of goes away. But uh, that, you know, that's when I'm seeing people. That's what I'm here for is to say you know, to be the, the background email that they go, oh, I'm struggling with whatever. And I say, well, I'll just go try this and try that. 
bit different with your husband, of course, because family don't always listen to you. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't get my head around people who come to people like us for guidance and then go, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. I've, I've, I've just, I've washed my hands now. And in fact, there's a, there's a health warning on my website. Don't come to me for cuddles and, and pictures and whatnot, because you're going to be told straight what you need to do. You have a choice, <laughs> you know, to do it or not. So be warned, you know, if yeah, you, yeah. you uh, darken my doorstep and um, you're not prepared to change, don't waste your time. Don't waste my time. You know, it's, it's uh, I don't get it. And it's a lot of work for people and they do have to take that on board. But I think once they start to see how different they feel and how much better they feel, that work becomes irrelevant. Plus, I also talk to people about, you know, healthy eating does not have to be really difficult. So part of what I, you know, I'm talking to them about is, is how to make things very, very simple. Use things like slow cookers. Use, I mean, I've got this fabulous pressure cooker now that takes 20 to 30 minutes to cook something that would normally take three hours in the cook in the oven and it's it, it's brilliant you know we I like try and talk to people about yes use convenience things but don't make the food convenient because if the food's convenient it's normally processed and it's got all sorts of chemicals in it it's cooked from scratch but use modern equipment in order to make it easier for you and that's part of I suppose it's, it's coaching isn't it it's saying right look you know, this is what we need to achieve. And if they think it's going to be really hard, then it's it's my job to basically say, well, look, this is how we make it easy for you. I've got a cupboard fulls of, uh, the new, you know, various different technologies. Obviously, I threw my microwave away years ago. Um, yes. Never, ever use a microwave, listeners out there. If you've got a microwave, don't even give it to your worst enemy. Just put it on the recycling aisle because uh, it's not, uh, well... My, my view on microwave might be different to yours. What, what's your view on microwaves, Louise? Oh, well, I read an article once on a gentleman who did an experiment and he had 10 plants that were all the same, same, same plant and the same size. And five of them, he took water from the tap and watered them as you normally would do. The other five, he took the water from the tap, he put it in the microwave, heated it and let it cool back down to the same temperature as the water from the tap. And he, he watered the plants, the other five with that. They were dead within six days. So my opinion of a microwave is, and it, 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 it changes the food. So uh, getting slightly technical, uh, when we look at isomers, which is like mirror images of, of um, uh, compounds, it changes it from one to the other. And the other is, is, is not very easily digested by the system, not assimilated well, causes inflammation. And therefore, I would say, um, having something from a microwave is uh, depleting from the system. It's not giving you any nutrients. It's killed it all off. So there's, there's no point. Mine got put away a long time ago. Well, got rid of a long time ago. And, and really, actually, the only thing we really missed it for was the children occasionally saying, uh, could I have some warm milk, mum? It's like, right, okay, well, I can do that on the hob in 30 seconds. I would rather do that. But, uh, but yes, microwaves, really bad news, personally. I say to people, you may as well eat the cardboard box. Um, yes. <laughs> most people use microwave for things for convenience foods. Um, yeah. You may as well eat the cardboard box, whatever that thing's come in, because it, it's a nutritional value. As you say, it, it depletes. It depletes everything. It, it strips yeah. everything out. So there's no nutritional value whatsoever of anything left in the microwave that's cooked in the microwave. So um, there we go. Let that, 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 that be a lesson to you listeners anybody's using a microwave on your head be it okay moving on um so you do your physiotherapy um you do your nutritional guidance 
Um, and I think there's a, some other thing that you do as well that um, is uh, interested me from looking at your website, the Far Infrared. Uh, the Far Infrared Sony, yes. Well, I actually, I, originally, again, I got that for Richard to help Richard. And I must admit, I was very interested in it myself as well. So part of the theory that I was finding was that uh, for Richard that he had, and in fact, this is true because for anybody with... Um, ulcerative colitis they're not allowed to give blood because of the, the backflow of toxins through into the bloodstream so they have some of their problems are actually shifting clearing toxins from the system so I was looking into what else could we do that helps remove toxins from the body to help his body work more efficiently and therefore fight against inflammation because inflammation another driver of inflammation can be toxins in the system that your body can't clear because your liver's not able to to clear them itself so I was looking at how else we could clear toxins from the system. So one of them is good old-fashioned Epsom salt, uh, either foot baths or um, body baths. But the other thing was, was the far-infrared sauna. Um, so I have that for people who are local here in Fife. It's great for reducing stress. It's actually lowers high blood pressure. Um, it's great for detoxing. This might sound revolting, people, but I'll just let you know that you're literally, the sweat is dripping off you. It is, you can feel it kind of, rolling off the side of yourself when you're in there um, it's great for weight loss uh, great for, for de-stressing and and for Richard part of his trigger used to be with the colitis years ago and, and with the arthritis was stress so part of the reason for getting it is so that he could actually use it as a way to de-stress and actually I defy anybody to not feel totally relaxed in an infrared sauna it's the kind of heat you get from the sun so it's that feeling of that warmth penetrating your system, it actually penetrates three inches into your body and actually draws the heat up. So it's great for any with any kind of um, rhinos, any circulatory kind of problems, um, the poor circulation problems, because it helps to draw the heat up and out and helps clip toxins out of the system. Um, so I, I, I've been, people have been using that for a few years here now. So it's, uh, I, I certainly go in there regularly as well. <laughs> Brilliant. I've never actually been in one. I've been in many, um, what do you call them? Ordinary spa type things. Um, yeah. In, in places like Bath Spa and um, some gyms now have various different. Um, there's a lovely gym in Nottingham where they have something like, I don't know, seven or eight rooms. And each room has got um, the the spa, you know, the, the heat. Um, oh. there's, there's mentholiptus, there's um, crystals, there's uh, all kinds of different flavors you know and, and aromas come off as well so you're sweating I mean you're also doing it you're not smelling when you're sweating um, yeah and, and that's, that's, that's another sign though of, of um, detoxifying isn't it because when people uh, are perspiring if they're smelling that's a sign that they, they're tox they're, they've got toxins in their body well, and if you, th if you think about it, I mean, our, our two main excretion routes are obviously by opening our bowels and, uh, and urinating, but our other major detox organ is our skin, it's sweating. So it's, and I would argue occasionally, occasionally people can detox via their mouth as well. Um, so if people have got heavy metals and they're, uh, they're, they're struggling to shift them, uh, they can actually, you can have, you have people a lot of the time with it. <coughs> <laughs> they do this kind of a cough yeah there was a chappy who um this is one of my tutors actually said uh, he had this permanent cough and uh, she found out he was having tin tuna five days a week and she said stop the tuna 
and the cough went within a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. it was it was trying to clear the mercury from the tuna from yes. his from his from his uh, lungs. Um, so yeah, d- don't underestimate the skin. The skin is a massive detox organ, and uh, and you know therefore we should use it as a route to try and remove toxins. The difference between the our infrared and a normal sauna is obviously the sauna heats the air around, and you sweat because you're in a hot environment. Whereas this actually physically draws the uh, the blood supply up so you get a much better flushing which is why you sweat with it so profusely um so it's a different it's a different kind of of, of heating effect on the system uh, but it, it the, you know the, the the benefits of uh, saunas are go back thousands of years mm. you look back into many of the older cultures and saunering was uh, was very much a part of of their everyday life of, and, and of healing so it's uh, i think it's undeniable the benefits of, of saunas and we are we are going back to everything that granny used to do aren't we um, well i say it all the time <laughs> totally i say look at how your grandma ate look at the you know the family values of sitting around a table resting digesting uh you know part of the reason i think we have a lot of issues nowadays is because we eat on the hoof we don't chew our food properly. Chewing at the end of the day is supposed to make our food liquid. We're not supposed to hoover our food in. It's supposed to be liquid when we swallow. And we're supposed to be sat in a rested environment because if you are rushing around, you have cortisol released. Cortisol is a stress hormone. And part of its job is to actually remove your blood supply from around your gut into your legs because it thinks you've got to get away from some danger. So that's when people eat and they feel like they're, you know, it sits on the top of their stomach and you, you feel like you're not digesting. It's because simply you're not because your blood supply is elsewhere because your body thinks you're in some kind of danger. So I talk a lot to people about trying to calm the stress mechanism down, sitting, eating properly and chewing food properly and eating food that looks like food, you know, that came off, off a tree or out of the ground rather than something that's been processed within an inch of its life. Um, because we, a lot of us can't cope with the toxin load that comes along with processed food. A few people realise that just by keeping a simple food diary, they can actually analyse what's going on themselves, can't they? So how do you introduce people to food diaries? Well, before people come, they do, they, to see me, they, they fill in a health questionnaire and they fill in a three-day diet diary. And I use the two of those to actually then have a look and see uh, how they, uh, what they're eating, what they're not eating, what they might be lacking in, so it might explain some of the symptoms. Um, I get them to do that again before they come back and revisit me for a few days. I don't get people to do uh, a longer-term diet diary unless we are uh, struggling to drill down on what is a problem issue, you know, what is an issue. So, like, say we think someone's got a food intolerance and symptoms have improved, but we've not quite got to the bottom of it, I might ask someone to do one then. Um, I might ask someone to do one if they are we're trying to reverse diabetes and, we're, and we're, we're, we're bringing things down, but again, we're not quite getting there. So I, I tend to do it as a, I, I like to get people to more be thinking about what they're eating as, a, as opposed as an unprocessed rather than um, drilling down on diet diaries too much because I don't want people to obsess about food. I want people to enjoy the food. Uh, but it can be very useful if you're trying to problem solve and find out what, what is a triggering food because there are various triggers and they're different for different people. Mm-hmm. So a diet diary can help in that respect. Absolutely. It's a kick, kicking off uh, tool, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I, I think also sometimes when people write it down, they then actually slightly scare themselves because they realise exactly how much they're eating and how much they're eating of the not so good things. Yeah. Um, so it does make you know, I think it's a bit of a reality kick as to um, as to exactly what they're doing and not doing. Exactly. I find that people people scare themselves by realising when they're writing it down. What and, and I'm sure not everybody is completely, totally honest about what they're eating. I'm sure some of them would uh, maybe only be putting two thirds on the sheet, um, but also that they're eating too much but of the wrong things, but also that they're not drinking enough. Yeah, I think not drinking enough is actually is a very common thing. And people counting coffee and tea as drinking when obviously they've got negative effects. Um, so one of the things that I do talk to people about is, you know, is adequate water. We are it's something like 65, 70 percent water um, and uh, the amount of replenishment isn't isn't sufficient. I, I add salt in my water, sea salt and uh, lemon as well. So I start my day every day with a with a cocktail concoction of um, various different uh, minerals, uh, including salt and um Live organic wheatgrass, uh, turmeric, ginger. Uh, um, what else do I put in? MSM, uh, freshly organic squeezed lemon, um, cream of tartar. Um, I think that's it. And I squidge it all around and um, knock it, knock it back. So that's my that's my cocktail in the morning. And yeah, highly anti-inflammatory. Very good. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's just, and and also I check my pH often. I check my pH to make sure that I'm I'm in balance. So my urine and my saliva pH make sure they're the right way round as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I mean that you know a lot of the foods that people eat nowadays are very acidic, and that acidity is not good for our system. So alkalizing ourselves as much as possible with fruit, and, well, the appropriate fruit and vegetables is 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 the way to promote better health. So being aware of that and a lot, and a lot of it is awareness and building awareness and saying, well, look, you know, these are the foods that we need to eat in order to promote health. And these are the foods that eat that, that detract from it. And I'm, I, you know, I do, I'm very realistic with people and I say, look, this is what I want you eating lots of. But if you do want to have the odd little bit of whatever it is, that is your thing you're going to feel deprived if you don't have have it but know what it's doing to you and know what effect it's having on your system but there is such a thing as feeding the soul so if you want to have a little bit of that then go for it but it's you know in the in the minority and for at least 80 percent of the time we want to be having the foods that are are promoting our health absolutely because sometimes the stress of not having the thing is worse than having the thing isn't it Totally. And, and if you get stressed, then you've got cortisol release and cortisol release again affects the digestion. So we, we don't want that to be happening. Um, and particularly because a lot of these chronic inflammatory diseases are worsened by stress. Then you know, part of what I do in all of my protocols is look at, at people's uh, how they cope with stress and get them to eat in order to support their stress systems as well. Um, you know, a lot of us don't realize that when we are stressed, that we deplete magnesium and B vitamins and protein from our systems, and we should eat more and to compensate at those times. Um, I, you know, I talk a lot to people about look at the look at your day. Is your day you're going to have? You know, people talk to me about fasting, intermittent fasting, and I said, well, okay, but what have you got on in your day? Because if you've got a very stressful day where you're going to be running around, it's not a good idea to fast. Um, you know, you need to be fasting in a rested state, in a relaxed state. You don't want to be doing that when you've you've got a to-do list as long as you're on. Uh, and this is where it comes back to individualized diets. 
we, we need to be looking at, at, at what we're doing, how, what our lifestyles are like, and, and actually listening to our bodies and, and doing something that works for us. Um, and that could be very different from the person sat next to you. Absolutely. It's about awareness, as you say, and balance, isn't it? Keeping a, keeping a balance that works for you as an individual and, and your you know, lifestyle and your family. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's, you know, obviously, I mean, we've, well, we've got two teenagers now. When we started all of this, we had two small ones, but uh, they're teenagers now. And that changes through the, uh, through the years. But uh, for us, one thing that's always been important is good food and and encouraging them, them to exercise and we exercise and and I, I think with the you know with with kids and with family we're we're responsible for teaching them what is good for their lives and setting them up correctly but trying to also make it realistically for kids you know I'm not a draconian that says my son can never eat pizza but I tell him how often it should be and how often it shouldn't be and you know and you work you work around normal modern life uh, but then that's I think part of the problem is nowadays everything is so geared up for speed and convenience that we can't have actually need to put this this the stopper on it and slow down and say whoa hang on a minute actually what's really important is your health because your health and your body and how you are performing is actually the most important thing that you've got absolutely so what would be your top tips louise for somebody who maybe is feeling a bit under the weather but can't quite put the finger on it um after listening to you may have an idea that it's it's related to their diet and lifestyle what would be the top tips that you would uh, recommend they start with the top tip without a doubt is balance your blood sugar and the quickest and easy way to do that is every time you eat you eat protein so it's protein and quite often we miss it at breakfast because people have something like a bowl of cereal or a piece of toast so you need to be having, it doesn't have to be um, eggs, but eggs is a good one. It could just be you have granola that's got nuts in, you could have porridge and you could put seeds on it. But protein, when we eat, when we chew our food and we swallow, um, if, if it's just something that's carbohydrate or sugar, basically, it goes straight through our stomach into our bloodstream and is absorbed very quickly and we get a sugar spike. When we get a sugar spike, a crash follows. And that's when at half past 10, you're grabbing for your coffee or your biscuit or whatever it is. If you have protein at breakfast, then the protein holds that food in the stomach. You get a much slower release of energy and therefore you won't get the crash mid-morning. Absolutely crucial for anybody who's listening and wants to lose weight as well uh, is, is balance your blood sugar. So protein at every single meal and snack. You can eat a low sugar uh, fruit on its own, like a pear or berry or an apple or kiwi satsuma, but high sugar fruits like banana, grapes, melon, pineapple have to be with some kind of protein. So I normally say with a handful of nuts. Uh, but that is, is the biggest thing for people changing their energy, for coping with mental health issues, uh, for whether that's depression, whether that's anxiety. Balancing your blood sugar is absolutely key. And that's the, one of the biggest take homes. I don't think there's any person I've ever seen that hasn't had balancing the blood sugar as part of their protocol for the first month. And so that's do, do you recommend people test their blood sugar? Um, only if they are diabetic and we're trying to get them back to normal. So because particularly, particularly if they're on medication, um, then obviously when we are trying to get them back into a normal blood sugar range, we want to make sure that they're not getting a hypo. Um, I have actually had Richard and I have both done our blood sugar. Um, so I have a little gizmo that, uh, that can measure it. And I did that basically because one of the markers in inflammation can be high blood sugars. Um, so I wanted to, this is a couple of years ago now, I wanted to have something that would tell us if he was more likely to flare 
to try and put extra bits in to try and stop a flare. Um, and I was I was trying to find a way in order to uh, to mark it other than just him suddenly having an affair. A flare, sorry, um, and um, so I did do it for that. So I, I, I did then did um, uh, you know monitor it for that. But I, I don't normally get people to do it as a standard um, unless we think suspect that maybe they might be pre-diabetic. Although normally, if I think someone's pre-diabetic, I get them to go see the GP and get that verified properly. Okay, um, and you mentioned earlier on that you stopped dairy. Why? Why did you stop dairy? Um, dairy, so so Richard. I mean, Richard can now actually eat some gluten and dairy. So that's the thing. The other thing to say to people is, don't feel like all these changes have to be permanent. He can eat gluten and dairy now when we're on holiday for two to three weeks, and but then he comes back and he goes back on to being gluten and dairy free. It's not all dairy. The biggest problem is cow's dairy. Um, part of that is because of all the hormones that are in it. Uh, that come through uh, that are very inflammatory. But um, uh, you know, there's a reason why they used to say, if you're going to go out to have a few drinks, uh, have cow's milk before you go. And that's because it literally lines the stomach and blocks the absorption of anything else. It takes two to three hours for us to digest it. Goat's product takes 20 minutes. So it just shows you an indicator of the digestive uh, load on your system from when you've had anything with uh, cow's milk. I interestingly also had a client a few years back and um, her both her mother and her grandmother had osteoporosis and she was showing signs of osteopenia, so that's the thinning of the bones. And um, she said to me, I don't understand why it's not getting any better. I've been having my calcium um, uh, supplements for years from the doctor and nothing's ever changing. I don't understand. And I said, well, how, how are you having it? And she said, oh, well, I'll have it every night with a pint of milk. Right, stop the milk. Just take the tablets and then let's see what happens. And within three months, her bone density was improving. So it just shows you that cow's dairy, unfortunately, is not that fantastic for us. So in fact, actually, it's one thing that I don't give to the children either. So the children, they'll have they'll either have goat's uh, products, goat's milk, or they'll have alternate milks if they're doing like mm. smoothie and things. Are you, are you, the, coconut, the coconut milk or hemp uh, milk, yeah. um, I don't have it very often at all. I just kind of have it as a standby. Occasionally, I'll make myself a, a protein shake uh, with all natural natural stuff. A friend of mine just created a wonderful product that uh, has got everything in it. But uh, I, I came across pea, pea milk recently, and it's, it's oh. in Sainsbury's, it's chick pea. And I thought, pea milk, this doesn't sound very nice. It's the most gorgeous, gorgeous thing ever. It's lovely, rich and creamy. And oh. uh, I, I highly recommend, you know, people who want to change, uh, have a go at, go at it. Really, really, really delicious. Yeah, I've not heard of that. I'll just check it out. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, and of course, um, it's acidic. Uh, milk, you know, cow's milk is acidic and it also creates mucus. So people who are struggling with asthma, um, with any kind of lung breathing condition, uh, shortness of breath, uh, cut out milk and, and they'll find a, an instant benefit. Um, uh, benefit. Yeah. Any kind of sinusitis, I find yeah, mucus producing things or even ear infections can uh, respond to taking cow's dairy out. Uh, so if anybody's got, if I think someone's got a food intolerance and it's any kind of nasally things and most of the skin issues except for psoriasis because psoriasis is uh, gluten intolerance. It's, auto, it's autoimmune again. Uh, but other skin conditions, I tend to suspect dairy. So I take dairy out. Right, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for uh, spending time with us today, Louise. I asked guests to choose a couple of songs, and you've chosen Bring Me Sunshine by Walker and Wires and yes. also Lou Armstrong, All the Time in the World. So why did you choose those? 
Um, Bring Me Sunshine is actually our, it was our first dance at our wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, We have always been a couple who, humour has been very much a part of our lives and uh, uh, we, we are, we're always laughing and joking. And uh, it's, it's always a sign if there's anything going on when the humour starts to decrease a bit. But um, uh, we picked that because we made up a silly dance at our wedding that was Morecambe and Wise-esque kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually, when you listen to the words in Bring Me Sunshine, they're actually really lovely. And we thought they were quite appropriate for us being married. Um, the second song is, is a sadder one for me um, because uh, we have all the time in the world. We played it at my dad's funeral. He died age 53, rather suddenly, had a massive heart attack. Um, He thought he'd been having, had been told by his doctor that he'd been having severe indigestion for years. And uh, he'd actually been having heart attacks. And they called them silent heart attacks. Um, By the time they found out what was going on, um, he'd been referred to be assessed for ongoing treatment. And actually only 13 days before he died, he'd been told he'd got a greater than 80% chance of living the next two years. And therefore he was not a candidate for whatever treatment it was. And he keeled over one morning and and died. Um, I was only in my 20s at the time. And obviously imagine I had quite a profound effect. Um, he was always overweight and he was one of the people who just thought taking the medication was the thing that would work, bless him. Uh, but he finds himself as a bit of a James Bond. He thought it was very smooth, you know, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, kind of Bond of that era. And uh, he loved Bond films and Bond music, which is why we picked We Have All the Time in the World from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's at the end where Diana Rigg dies. Uh, because we wanted a Bond film at his funeral, um, a Bond theme music. Um, but to me, I think it's it gave me more of a drive, and this is why I've chosen it. When Richard became ill, um, it gave me the drive to say, no, we're not settling for this because I'm not losing you like I lost my dad. Mm. And so for me, it, it was a real... Um, it was a wake-up call for me, and I wish I, I, you know, I knew what I know now. I wish I'd known that back then because things might have been different with my dad. Um, but for me, it just it gave me the determination to say, no, we're not just sitting down and taking what they say as read, and you're going to slowly get worse. Mm-hmm. We are going to make a difference, and we're going to put things into place and, and do it ourselves if we have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that that song means a lot. I've, you can imagine for a while I couldn't listen to it without crying, but now I just can listen to it and uh, a smile and think of my dad. And uh, yeah, so that, that's why I picked that song. Lovely. Well, we'll be playing those uh, two songs for you. So, thank you again, Louise Blanchfield from thefoodphysio.com. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you today. Wonderful. Thank you, Louise. Take care. Thank you. You too.